What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. This is just a reminder that you can go over to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain every Wednesday evening at around 8 o'clock, and you can listen to us live, and you can actually also donate to us if you'd like. It does help support the channel, keep things running. Fellow. It is. It's a language in of itself. Mm-hmm. And I used to say when I was in, uh, in back when I was in uni, that uh, Simpsons was a language of its own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some quotes, they're another one. They work. I'm, I'm I... multilingual. I'm a polyglot of <laughs> languages is what I am over here. I would love to actually kind of try to do that, maybe for, like, charity or something where someone watches me for a whole 24 hours where I'm not able to say anything unless it's a quote from a movie. You see, if you can actually make it through the day just by quoting movies and it still be... Uh, momentarily significant to the conversation that had. <laughs> I mean, I think I told you probably a year, year and a half ago, about before the world went to shit, mm. about the uh, art installation they had here in Melbourne at Acme called The Clock. Mm. And if I mentioned it, maybe I didn't mention it, it's basically a 24-hour movie that's basically made up of clips of other movies, but all involving clocks. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, you did You did talk about that. I remember. And the time in real life was the time in the movie. So the clock, if it was 5.30 in Melbourne, it, the clocks in the movie were 5.30, 5.31, 5.32. Yeah. And then, you know, and you sit there for half an hour, i got to go somewhere and do something, but I want to see what <laughs> happens at 6 o'clock, you know. Like, <laughs> it was freaking awesome. I really wish I could have stayed for longer. Um, because it was, it was a lot of fun. But anyway, it's actually the thing, right? You could see if you could make a, a movie out of other movies that made sense. Like, it'd be like a, a DJ making a record out of samples. Yeah, a bizarre supercuts of a 24-hour life. <laughs> Maybe we could suggest that to the um, the Gothenburg Film Festival. Um, you, you commented, we had a bit of a chat about this last week. There was a, a story going around that uh, was a Swedish film festival. I think it was the Gothenburg Film Festival. I think it was, yeah. Was looking for someone to basically live in a lighthouse for a week. Mm. Uh, and the idea being that you would live in the, in the in the lighthouse and you would watch all the, you have no contact with anybody else, no books, no phones, laptops, tablets, none of that. Um, and you basically just had to stay in this lighthouse and watch the movies that the festival was showing. Um, and yeah, yeah we, we talked about, it. like, I, you know, I would have really put my name forward, but I've got no idea how the hell I'm going to get to Sweden right now. So, yeah, especially, you know, go, going to Sweden, it's going to be really expensive for one thing anyway, and especially during COVID. I mean, I can't even get to Sydney right now. Mm, <laughs> I can't yeah. get to Perth. You can't go to, you can't go to the other side of the country. But, um, but anyway, what an interesting <laughs> That would be to live in the, in the lighthouse for a couple of weeks watching movies. That would be fascinating. Yeah. I, I reckon there's probably been someone who's like, oh, can I make a movie out of that already? Yeah. Well, I mean, it'd be a horror movie, sure. But then again, we did have The Lighthouse that came out late last year, late 2019, I think, actually, yeah. with um, Robert Pattinson and um, mm-hmm. William Defoe, uh, which, was, which was fucking awful. It was awful. That was by the same person that did The Witch, right? Which was also awful. Um, yeah, it, the, the, both of those have had. I've, I've heard such such amazing things by by some people that I know and some reviewers. They seem to really, really love it. Yeah, I guess it's like if you like artsy fartsy crap that doesn't mean anything, and you can read things into anything. It's going as long as it's got like an arty film angle and they shoot it in black and white. Then 
you know, <laughs> good, you know, then, oh, yeah, well, the use of Pattinson as a Christ figure, and, you know, I don't know, like, <laughs> it was, I don't know, it was, parts of it were cool because they had the great aesthetic, but, like, he's like, parts of it were like, wow, this could be fucking scary as fuck, but, like, mm. then he, it would be Robert Pattinson having sex with an imaginary mermaid, you're like, oh, okay. It's different. Fair enough. Fair I'm enough. very, very bored. Please yeah. end. I wonder if he's just trying to play like sexual bingo or something. It's sort of like, yeah, I've uh, had relations with vampire and a mermaid. I've yeah. got to get the wolf yeah. man in there. Yeah, um, zombie, horror, uh, zombie sex movie and that's yeah. going to happen. The Zom rom com has died a little bit in the last. It uh, has. It has. Yeah. Now, you got a, you got a new thing up on the screen that I see. Yes. So, yeah. So because um, we had someone actually ask about it two weeks ago, um, finally got around to actually setting up on twitch.tv slash the fried brain. If you go into about section, you can click on um, the donate button and donate via PayPal if you feel like you want to throw us money. Um, Obviously, you don't have to. We're not paywalling any of our content because is it really worth any money? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The the audience over the last seven years has said no. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, someone asked, so why not? It's there if you want to. Anything that does get donated, it'll just go straight back into um, the hosting services and things like that. Um, And additionally, we may have gear coming soon um potential t-shirts may be available if you are interested again just like the rest of our show and everything else it's very basic and <laughs> entirely generic <laughs> homemade <laughs> i think is the is the pc term we use yeah uh, yeah it's it's um it's crafty <laughs> uh yeah i mean we've been talking about this for a long time i think we were talking about doing the smell of an oily rag shirts probably yeah about- Again, probably six or seven years ago now. It would be, I think we've got to be saying this show has probably been going on for eight years, I think now, as of 2021, because probably. I went to, you bad that, because I reckon I went to Japan in 2015 and 2014. So we definitely recorded a show while I was in Japan. Yes. Um, but anyway, yeah. it was a long time ago, so at least yeah. six years ago, at least. Yeah. So that, um, was, that was back when, um, what was it? What was it called? The GNT podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I endorse the GNT podcast. And uh, so just going to show, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else in between and all the bots who are listening out there, mm-hmm. when we put our mind to something, we say we're going to do it. Yep. Bloody well do it. It may have taken six years. Yeah. But, you know, if, if you, if you, you'll sit, you'll see us wearing the t shirts eventually. If you want one, just let us know. And we'll get it through to you. And, um, you know, if that becomes as successful as the rest of the show, <laughs> hey! we, we could have more t shirts coming. <laughs> who, might, doesn't, who doesn't want one that says smell of an oily rag? We, we you might know? Sell, sell one to somebody who we don't know for a change. I mean, <laughs> I think we've had a question. One question from somebody we don't know on the podcast and that was kind of an event yeah that that was quite quite a special moment but um i i came up with an idea for another t-shirt but this is a i feel like a lot of people can probably appreciate this t-shirt it's um a a doodle on a t-shirt that says uh, has a blank spot where you can do a tally and then number of days since last incident and it can just be associated to anything 
Like the amount. I particularly <laughs> pleased that the T-shirt you have designed references a very old meme that I particularly liked that no one else is going to get. <laughs> As always, we are a hundred percent on the cutting, bleeding cutting edge. edge. Should be like trends. Use that troll facing. It was popular about seven or eight years ago. You know. Yeah. Cool True. story, bro. No one's ever seen that on a shirt before. <laughs> well, we're just, you know, we're fashion is cyclical, and we're just at a point where it's completely, utterly the most possible out of date that it could be. But then in like four years' time, five years' time, people go, oh, wow, they were ahead of the time. It's going to be a lit fan. Something no one will ever say about our podcast. <laughs> Potentially, but bots might have already said it. I mean, you know, the, um, they're changing. Don't know. The new leader for the bots uh, coming in overnight. The mm-hmm. Russian bots will be looking for a new target, and we are not averse. Mm-hmm. We will sell out to anyone. Anyway, we, we, we are open for business. Now, we've talked enough crap at the start of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, as I said before, this is episode 97 of Armchair Producers, and this week, our chain movie following on from uh, last week's Carlito's Way, which had an extended cameo, shall we say, by the one Vigo Mortensen, followed him over to the David Cronenberg 2007 movie Eastern Promises, which co-starred Naomi Watts um, and Vincent Cassell to be kind of the three big names in the movie. Let's get right into talking about this movie. So first and foremost, the plot for anyone who might not know. As... You can't do that at the start. Yeah, I can. I'm <laughs> shaking things People up. People are expecting us to start waffling on about the film for about five minutes before remembering that we've forgotten to tell them what the plot is. I mean, <laughs> you're... Man's we, are, we are evolving the show. We are evolving the show. We see so, change. Um, you know what? There isn't. Uh, oh, there is actually from Focus Features. The mysterious and charismatic Russian-born Nikolai Luzhin is a driver for one of London's most notorious organised crime families of Eastern European origin. The family itself is part of the Vorivizakon uh, criminal brotherhood, headed by Semyon whose courtly charm as the welcoming proprietor of the plush Trans-Siberian restaurant impeccably masks a cold and brutal core. The family's fortunes are tested by Simeon's volatile son and enforcer, Kirill, who is more tightly uh, bound to Nikolai than to his own father. But Nikolai's careful maintained existence is jarred once he crosses path uh, at Christmas time with Anna Kritova. Uh, a midwife at a North London hospital. Anna is deeply affected by the desperate situation of a young teenager who dies while giving birth to a baby. Anna resolves to try and trace the baby's lineage and relatives. The girl's personal diary also survives her. It is written in Russian, and Anna seeks answers in it. Anna's mother, Helen, does not discourage her, but Anna's irascible... Russian-born uncle Stefan urges caution. He is right to do so. By delving into the diary, Anna has accidentally unleashed the full fury of the Vori. With Semyon and Kirill closing ranks and Anna pressing her inquiries, Nikolai unexpectedly finds his loyalties divided. The family tightens its grip on him, who can or should he trust. Several lives, including his own, hang in the balance as a harrowing chain of murder, deceit, and retribution reverberate through the darkest corners of both the family and London itself. Whew. Well, that's the big one. Yeah, that's a big one and uh, pretty accurate. <laughs> well, it's, what, it's like a fucking essay. It's half yeah. a script. 
Now, Travis, you said that you hadn't seen this before, I had right? not seen this before. Okay, so what are your thoughts? It's an interesting one. Um, I guess the first thing I thought of, it's interesting to compare it because we have talking here about two back-to-back gangster films. Mm. Uh, and we're talking very, very, very different kinds of gangster films here. You know, the shiny, polished, glamorous, almost looking Brian De Palma film from last week of, um, of, of Carlito's Way as compared here to the dour, grey, never where the gritty, um, dread-filled, you know, um, mm. Maybe that's because it was shot in London. It's the grey. Um, <laughs> dr- not really dreadful. any sense of hope anywhere. It's, in it's, it's really dour. Is dour is a word I want to focus on here. It's it's down. It's it, it's dark. It's it's dirty. It's not glamorous at all. It, it's a bit like if you compare, you know, look at a, a film like Train Spotting, which some people might have said glamorized the look of drug use, even as kind of horrible, mm. um, compared to something like Requiem for a Dream, which just makes it look fucking awful. Yeah. Um, whereas, as I said, Kylo is why he had that polish at Hollywood edge to everything. And, mm. you know, did we, you know, I don't know if there was ever any dread in there or fear. Mm. Um, you might have been, you might have been attached to Carlito's character, but the film told us at the start what happened. Yeah. So, you know, that didn't help. Um, not that the Carlito's way was a bad film, but no. this is a very, very different kind of film. Mm. Part of it, I think, is its origin. It's shot in entirely in the UK. Mm-hmm. It's the first film David Cronenberg has ever shot um, entirely in the UK, David Cronenberg being very well-known Canadian um, film director, mm-hmm. where he shoots most of his stuff. Um, but I think maybe also some of the subject matter here is is far darker than probably maybe more something more realistic than, than Carlito's Way. I don't imagine life as a gangster is particularly flashy or glamorous for the most part. I mean, it's a pretty dark existence. Well, it's um, the, where they kind of film all that. I lived in and around that area of London when I was there. And I've been into, when I lived in Limehouse, there are pubs and clubs that are known as, um, you know, underground hangouts and one of the things that you do notice is there is that kind of sense of bravado for them like the way vincent cassell's character is he's very loud and braggadocious and kind of in everyone's face but there's always this almost like a glass ceiling kind of thing where they're they're loud within their certain allocated spot and then beyond that it's sort of like no uh, from this line on we're business and we don't bring attention to ourselves. We don't do anything like this. It's almost like there is that kind of little bit of a facade of this is our safe spot versus this is the rest of the world where we don't really want to draw attention to ourselves unless we are purposefully sending a message. And Did you walk on the this film set or was it just the um, Leo DiCaprio's film? So was it Matt Damon's film you ruin when you walk on the set? I just ruined one take. <laughs> <laughs> You make an interesting point there in the sense that this film is about another world. Mm. It's almost a subterranean world underneath, mm. you know, I want to use the glitz, the, you know, the you know, glory of, you know, the, the financial capital of Europe. It is London, right? Mm. Um, there's this seedy underworld that sits underneath. Many seedy underworlds, I would imagine, that sit underneath it. Um, mm. And the uh, way that it's introduced in the movie is very, very purposeful as well everything that we're really shown is 
any of the uh, the criminal stuff is up until kind of turning point in the story, it's always behind very kind of ominously closed doors. And when we're following um, Naomi Watts' character, there's always that that physical, visual, obvious barrier between the world that she is in, which is not a happy one, really. It's, you know, it's Christmas time and it's raining, it's shitty, it's horrible. Usually when it's Christmas time, it's a picturesque kind of idea where you've got snow coming down, it's lovely. That's not this world. And then there is this big, it's lots of blank, horrible, oppressive doors that she has to knock at repeatedly to to be let into this this other world. And at one point, Viggo Mortensen actually says to her, this is not your world. Mm. I'd like to give a shout out at this point in time to Viggo Mortensen's acting. He mm-hmm. was nominated, I think, for an Academy Award for Best Actor in this film. I'm not mistaken. Um, he's uh, It's not unusual to see uh, an English actor or an American actor try and do a mm. Russian character. Like I think if see Jeremy Irons, who did the Russian character in Tenet, and I think he did one in a Jack Ryan film as well. You yeah. think he's game Jack? And you're like, uh, Kenneth Branagh, not Jeremy Kenneth Branagh, sorry, wrong one. Um yeah. and you're like, Yeah, all right. You're a good it's, actor. Yeah, but- it's very generic the way that it's Kenneth like, Branagh is. Um or, this or, or you Sean Connery, it's like, oh comrade. <laughs> yeah, there's a Scottish part of Russia. <laughs> Capitalist pigs. Um, <laughs> um but this one actually, I would one hundred. You close your eyes, you would one hundred percent believe you would look. You were actually listening oh, yeah. to, to uh, a native Russian speak. He nailed mm. the accent, and more than that, I think he nailed the mannerisms. Mm. Um, the, the trivia on IMDb says he based his character to some degree on Vladimir Putin, which isn't a bad one. And you can kind of see it. He's going to yeah. He's going to get that stoicism, that Russian stoicism, which they're very famous for. Yeah. Um, and having been there is a re- legit thing until they're drunk. Um, <laughs> but you know, like people are, people are throwing insults at him or you know, asking him to do ridiculous things. You sort of like a bit of a twitch of a face of, yes, mm. okay, right. You know, like, yeah. doesn't let anything sort of everything sort of seems to bounce off him, nothing yeah. seems to phase him, which exudes a, a tremendous inner confidence in his ability to handle whatever comes. Um, which we find out later. Uh, you know, he's not just, he starts out, we think he's, he's telling to tell people he's just a driver, but yeah. he's, um, no spoilers, but he's much more than that. Yeah. Um, and I and love it's, it's kind of a double double meaning when he says, I'm just driver, because the first time, the first time we meet him, he's kind of um, got the interaction with Vincent Cassell, who is always great in everything that he does. He's, he's very good at what he does. But, um, you know, he just mentions that he's just a driver and it's like yeah but you're not really you're very clearly in a gang and then as the story progresses as revelations come to light it's him saying i'm just a driver it's like oh it's it's got many more layers to it than than what we're initially kind of exposed to and what we think oh i'm so smart because i know what you mean oh no i didn't know the full extent of what you meant okay it, um, so Vigo, I mean, Vigo is an extraordinary actor at his best, yeah. and uh, this is one of his best things. So call out to that. If I have a criticism of this film, mm. it, I feel like it gets into third gear and it stays there. Um, so mm-hmm. it's exceedingly well made. It's brilliantly acted. I mean, 
there's a great talent all the way through this thing. Mm. The director done has done a great job. It looks great. Um, story I think is pretty well written. It's written by Stephen Knight. I think it was his name. Um, yeah, he made uh, Locke. Locke, which is if you haven't seen Locke, that's one of my um, one of my one of the best films I've seen in the last ten years. Um, but I feel like he sort of gets going. And it doesn't really get out of that third gear into a fourth gear of something like the chase scene in Carlito's way, where mm. it really got exciting. And you know, maybe that's by design. Maybe David Cronenberg didn't want to make a gangster, and I sort of, it sort of maybe this goes against what I just said. Maybe he didn't want to make a gangster film that was exciting. He wanted one that was dour and violent and depressing. Um, and he succeeded. Uh, but I, for me. That felt like it got into, it got mm. to a good place. It got going, and I'm like, I'm interested in these characters. I'm interested in where the story is going. Oh, it's over. Mm. There's never really any kind of cathartic release that we get. I mean, even um, at by the end, it's sort of like, okay, not really much has changed in the status quo of any of the characters, and it's like, okay, they've they've gone through a lot. We've seen them go through a lot that messes them up physically, emotionally, mentally, all of that stuff. And yet they're still kind of the same characters. Life just goes on for these people. It's almost like this is just a, a window into a brief three weeks in, into these people's lives on a very basic level. And you just see elements throughout. It's There's no kind of... The, you know, the bad guy, so, uh, in a, the broader sense, doesn't really have any comeuppance. The, yes, I mean, it's, it's sort of hinted at that yeah. the, the, the main bad guy here played, um, what's his name, by Armin Mueller-Stahl, mm. uh, who plays Semyon, is, will be arrested. That seems to be the, the hint, the indication. But that all happens off camera, yeah. if it happens at all. Mm. Um so look, this is it doesn't kill the film for me. It just makes me go, oh, okay. I kind of feel like there was a it goes that it, it could have gone to another place, another gear to really maybe even for you know, the last ten minutes to really make it a really compelling, exciting ending. Um, and it just sort of faded out, which is probably in line with the rest of the film. But um, the other criticism I have is the character of Nami Watts. Um, now I think I am a fan of Nami. Mm, me too. Um, I think she's a significantly underrated actress. She mm -hmm. doesn't work much anymore, unfortunately. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, she was really good. At, you know, if she, she's done some great stuff in her time in Hollywood, and who could forget for the Aussies watching her turn in the uh, Lamb ad when she turns Tom Cruise down for a date. <laughs> that legit that's she was in a tv commercial for lamb um and um <laughs> she's gonna start somewhere um <laughs> but again so there's no criticism of naomi because she was wonderful but the character didn't really feel her motivation seemed ill sort of unrealistic to me so naomi watts's character is a midwife mm. she works in a hospital the uh, Tatiana, the young Russian prostitute, is brought into her hospital and dies in the process of giving birth. Mm. Um, and nobody knows who she is. Nobody knows the baby's name or where to, what to do with her. Mm. And nobody wants some, and she discovers her diary. And because mm. she has, I guess, some Russian heritage, is the hint that she has some ins to people who can translate it for her and potentially tell her 
who Tatiana was and help mm. find out who her family is. I don't buy, though, that she would go on this quest. She becomes obsessed almost with this quest mm. to uncover, uh, as you sort of, as this description said, Tatiana's lineage mm. and find out who, um, you know, find out who her grand fat parents were and, you know, uh, word on the street was it was Emperor Palpatine. So that cut that scene out. Um, controversial. Um, controversial. But controversial. no, she, 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 she uh, we sort of go after her. Oh, you know, and she, all of a sudden there are Russian gangsters involved. And she's like, yeah, nah, nah, nah. Yeah, nah, it's fine. I'm going to mm. I'm gonna fucking go head to head potentially with these Russian gangsters to find out, you know, who this rando woman was who unfortunately passed away in my hospital. Mm. Um, uh, and it doesn't – any real person, you know, you, you were you're obviously interesting you say, but you lived in a part of London mm. where there were Russian gangsters. I imagine you weren't fucking around with these people if you saw them, right? You, no, not at all. You keep your yeah. fucking distance from them, right? Yeah, absolutely. The, I mean, the some of the, the pubs and clubs that are run by them – can be amazing nights and they are really impressive venues but at the same time just because they can turn fucking foul and you know every week there'd be news reports just coming through of bar fights or guns being fired in locations it's always around these certain certain pubs and things like that so I'm like yeah shit went down glad i didn't go out that night so i i, I, I agree it- with your point on this and i think that uh, sorry, no. You can't finish your finish your thought. No, it's just what I said. I mean, that legitimately follows up. Like mm. Nami Watts he knows she doesn't belong in this world, mm. and and that line from Viggo Monson, "You do, you are not. It's just not your world." Is legitimately mm. true, and mm. she would know that. And I think any real person would that you know would legitimately go, "Okay, well, look, I did my best. Mm. I'm not fucking with Russian gangsters to find out who this woman is. Mm. I'll let you know the the kid go into foster care or whatever. I've done my best." Um, mm. Unless we've had some other kind of motivation, I needed something stronger to tell me why she was acting in a really counterintuitive way. That's that's my thought because there is a kind of a throwaway line from her uncle Stefan, who says about um, her losing a baby and her pu- uh, her husband running away. I feel like if that had been the kind of the inciting scene of the movie, this the very first thing that we see is her suffering that loss and then this kind of being two or three weeks later and she's still emotionally reeling from losing a baby and then suddenly being thrown in this situation where she has an opportunity to literally save a baby from a dead mother the role reversal kind of thing i feel that that could have been a bit more of an emotional okay yep she's she's not ready to go back to work and that was the first thing that she picked up fuck that would that would throw me out in a spin as well. I feel like that would have justified it a little bit more, baby. It's not a massive problem, but I kind of <laughs> found myself a few times going, really? Like at one point, um, Viggo Mortensen and her meet in a cafe. They <laughs> handed the, the suggestion is that they will trade the diary, which um, Viggo Mortensen's boss wants <laughs> for information on Tatiana's parents or, or her family. And Viggo Monson just takes it and fucks off and leaves without giving her any information. And she chases him out of the, you know, out of the, the cafe and confronts him. No, you told me you were like, no. Yeah, like, I mean, we have organised crime here in Melbourne, right? Like, we had the gangland war in the early 2000s. And I, I wouldn't say, I used to know people who would probably recognise 
a lot of the very well-known gangsters on the street. Mm. There were kind of many celebrities in this city to a degree. Um, and if I saw uh, Mick Gatto, and I think I probably recognise Mick Gatto. If you don't know who that is, Google it. Um, well-known gangster in Melbourne. He's not in jail. <laughs> if I saw Mick Gatto on the street, right, like, you know, or if I was like, if I ran up, you know, I had any kind of dealing with him, I would turn and, like, I would be keeping my absolute distance. I want mm-hmm. nothing to do with that because fucking you, you don't want a piece of that. And yeah. so um, I, I don't believe for a second, Naomi, what's character would have been this committed to it without a, a better reason for me. Mm. Um, back onto the positive side of things, though. Mm. Uh, I would like to give a shout out for some of the fight scenes in this, particularly the fight scene oh, in the Turkish bath. Holy shit, it's hard hitting. It's great. I think this is like if fuck John Wick, right? Mm-hmm. Like okay, <laughs> that, the first the first two were fun. The third one sucked. Um, but this, you know, John Wick feels more like a choreographed fight than re- a real fight. Mm-hmm. This felt like a real fight. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that Viggo Mortensen did it in a, in a nude, like props to him. Yeah, and him rolling over things and hitting the floor like he does. There's no, there's no padding there. That's gotta hurt. That's gonna fucking hurt. And he just sells it and he rolls with it. And the fact that it's two on one and he is unarmed, it projects him as vulnerable, but still dangerous like a cornered animal it's it's just lashing out and that's kind of how his movements are there he's not sort of like bam, 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 bam. it's these ugly haymakers and just rolling himself to get any form of leverage on the his opponents it's it's good <laughs> i mean it's apparently according to the trivia here it took two days to shoot um, and it was a shot on location, so you're right, probably right. I mean, nope, this is a location. That means it's a real Turkish bath mm-hmm. or Russian bath for those who are playing at home. Um, <laughs> if, the, uh, if the gangsters are listening, it's a fucking Russian bath, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, you're not padding that, right? You're right, it's a real one. And then here, this interesting line, it says it was choreographed with the actors instead of stuntmen. Mm. I don't know if that means they choreographed it, they they worked it all out between the two acts and then had something come in and shoot it or mm. it was shot by Vigo and the the other two actors who, who were playing the assassins. I'm not sure. Mm. Um, but it's one of the most brutal and um, brilliantly choreographed fight scenes I think I've seen in, in a mm. film in a very, very long time. Mm. Um, it, it, have you ever seen a real fight? You used to go out to the pubs in London. There must have been the odd fight. Yeah. Yeah, I've Are seen a couple. And that's what real fights kind of look like, right? They're not. They, they they're not are John Wick, not you know. pretty. They are not pretty, and don't care who you are. I do not care what kind of training you've had. You're in a fight. All of that shit goes out the window, and you will play dirty straight away. And these guys, every single one of them, goes for the quick. I want to take them down in one hit. Action. They they go for gut. They go for balls. They you you just sort of like I want to get out of this situation. That's it. That's it. And they capture that kind of agency, an immediacy, and sort of mm. the, uh, you know, and the adrenaline's pumping. And mm. uh, you're right. You I've never been in a fight, but uh, the, uh, as a great man once said, uh, "Win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat." <laughs> um, uh, especially if we're in a knife fight in a Russian bath. Mm-hmm. Um, famous words, but I've and uh, I mean that was probably the biggest action set piece in the film. 
Yeah. Um, but the other, I mean, we should probably note here, if you're just sitting here thinking, this sounds like the kind of movie I might like to watch. It's incredibly violent. It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's the violent sort of spikes sharp mm. and out of nowhere, but it is brutal. Like it mm. is not pulling, this film doesn't pull any punches. It's mm. very, very graphic violence. So if mm. that bothers you, this is not the film for you. Yeah. Absolutely agree. This is uh, rated 18. It's available on stand for anyone in Australia who wants to watch it. I do recommend it because this is a great hour and 40 minutes of quality acting. Interesting story. It's a different kind of story. And this sort of thing, I feel, is um, a good companion piece in some ways to History of Violence, another Viggo Mortensen, David Cronenberg. Um, also, it definitely that the the feel the kind of the gritty real world feel of of Locke, you know the writer he's stephen knight he's got his style and this very much in line with that so if you've watched Locke, you're probably going to be able to appreciate what's going on in this movie as well um because it's it's you know unlike certain directors who don't care about character um stephen knight likes to spend time developing his characters i mean uh tom hardy was fantastic in lock and i think he actually actually wrote uh or came up with the idea for legend which is tom hardy doing um the cray brothers which is he doesn't have a credit for it no okay but um it's it's along those lines or have you seen um porn sacrifice the um it's a few years old now but the toby Maguire chess movie um oh, that's right it's, yeah it's an acquired taste but yeah. again that's all about the characters involved mm-hmm. it's the character of yeah and, um toby guys um what's his name fisher um yeah. i think you actually uh chess player's name but um and you're right he takes time here mm. he's going to be spending time with conversations and yeah. learning about people's motivations and I think a fact for me is one of the strengths of a film mm-hmm. that and the acting. So the call mm-hmm. out, we talked about Vigo. We talked about Naomi Watts, bit of a shit. You said mentioned Vincent Cassell earlier. He plays a cocky, you know, uh, unreliable, you know, psychopath. Um, yeah. Son, really son well. of the boss thinks he can kind of get away with everything. Um, in there as well. I mentioned uh, Armin Miller style. He, um, Who's name? Who'd be one of those guys? You'd be like, oh, that dude. Um, I just saw. Sorry, the character of Tatiana is played by Tatiana Maslany, who went on to be very, very successful in Orphan Black, and um, not really seen her in much recently. But um, she was for for a good good period of time. She was very, very popular, and everyone wanted her in everything. Um, She's going to be in She Hulk. She's going to play She Hulk. Well, there we go. Young actress nabbed by Marvel. What a surprise. <laughs> uh, she was also in Perry Mason that came out. We talked about that last oh, year. Yes, yes. Um, I was just mentioning Armin Mueller Stahl, the German actor who plays mm. Semyon, who I mentioned earlier. Be a very familiar face. He was he was wonderfully menacing in this in a mm. in a in a quiet menace kind of way. Like yeah. he didn't say much, but you were fucking terrified. Yeah, he um, was, I think maybe he raised his voice twice in the whole thing but every single time he's on screen he is just that that bubbling pot of you're being nice right now because you are choosing to be nice but your instinct is to conquer destroy and subjugate 
anyone or anything that you are talking to. And it's, it's really well done in the sense that um, a little bit like, I mean, it's going to be a weird leap, okay? Um, the idea of Breaking Bad was that it's Mr. Chips who turns into Scarface. Um, okay. Have, the first thing we meet Armin Mueller-Stahl, he has that really grandfatherly, you know, way about him when he was talking to Andy Watts. And you're like, oh, he's like a charming, warm kind of guy, but then he turns around, he's a Mm-hmm. nutbag you do not yeah. want to mess with yeah um but but great great movie and that was my choice of movie so travis where are you taking us next week so many choices here and i've been really torn i mean part of me wanted to go back and watch um history of violence um but another Viggo Morrison um movie uh so um uh, would be probably a little bit cheating considering same director as well Mm-hmm. Uh, as good as that film is, and I kind of thought though I want to take us back in time a little bit and and look at something that I thought was good at the time, and I wonder if it still looks good now. Okay, uh, it's not Death Machine. That's not that bad. No, uh, we've got two choices here, and I've, I've decided on one now. Okay. I was originally going to go with Existence, oh. the uh, nineteen ninety nine Jude Law Cronenberg film, which again I thought was pretty good at the time, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and but it's been probably 20 years since I saw it. But mm-hmm. I'm taking a slightly different path, and now I am going to follow Armin Mueller-Stahl to the 1999 science fiction thriller mystery, The 13th Floor. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, hang on. 1999, 13th Floor. That's – yeah, that's where I know him from. That's I was trying to think of it and I couldn't remember. Oh. It was also in Shine, if you've ever seen that. I did have a think about Shine, um, but I've seen that not so long ago. But um, interestingly, um, the Thirteenth Floor is based on uh, the, a book called Simulacron Three, mm. um, written by Daniel Galuye. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, um, but. This is a very influential book. It was turned into a film in the 70s called World on a Wire. If there was any way in hell we could get a copy of that, I would probably ask us to watch that um, <laughs> at some point. But it's never been a particularly easy film to find. I saw it at um, a film festival. Mm. I closed for four hours. That seems cruel. But um, this is, um, this is a, a, a very, very influential book that influenced films like The Matrix as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is an interesting film because the critics hated it, but the, it has a, a bit of a cult following and the audience mm. to enjoy it. So I'm curious. I liked it when I saw it probably 20 years ago. So I'm curious to go back and watch it now and see if it's something um, that, uh, that still holds up all these years later. Yeah. It, um, it is available to stream in Australia. You can rent it on the Googles, the Microsofts, the YouTubes. Yep. Um, if you are so inclined and you'd like to watch it as well. I liked it the last time, but we will find out next week if it holds up or whether I was just drunk or stoned or something at the time. I think the last time I watched it might have been after it was released. I, I, I don't think I've seen it since then, and I remember thinking that was weird. I kind of like it. I'm curious, and 
I think I already know where we want to go next afterwards. There's a fair few actors in this. We've got um, you said you said Armin Miller star Gretchen Moll, who was famous in the '90s. Dennis Haysbert, Vincent D'Onofrio, mm-hmm. Craig Bierko is a star, and yeah, that says a lot. <laughs> um, so. Anyway, uh, that will be next week's chain movie, and that's going to be a little bit left field. I wanted to take us away from the uh, the premium productions we've been having of late. It's just uh, and see if we get down in the gutter again, or well, semi gutter if you listen to the critics. Anyway, yeah. All right, now should we move on to something we both watched? Um, sure. And it's a uh, you know we're we're actually on trend. WandaVision on Disney Plus. The first two episodes aired, um, and everyone is talking about it, it seems. Everyone seems to love the fact that this is doing something different. And uh, I, I see the opposite. I've been seeing a lot of comments from people saying it's boring, I don't mm-hmm. like it, I hate it, it's stupid, I don't it's so slow moving, yada yada yada. So um while I think you've summed up my thoughts on it initially, I thought it was good. But I've been seeing a lot of commentary online going about, oh, I'm a Marvel fan and I don't like it. <laughs> Which actually I'm not surprised about. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that at all. Um, the reviews that I've been seeing, everyone's loving it. Uh, the re- reviewers are loving it because it is a very different um, very different style of storytelling to what has been present in the first 10 years of the MCU and especially very different to any of the MCU based TV shows. And even going broader than that, any superhero TV shows, this is not your cookie cutter superhero villain of the week kind of thing. This is almost Lynchian. It really is. Um, and I should note, though, this is the first uh, TV show from Marvel Studios proper. Mm, the first yeah, the, the other Marvel, Luke Cage and Jessica Jones and and uh, Iron Fist and stuff were uh, all done by... It was Agents of Shield as well, which was yeah. a co-production. <laughs> the first pure production by Marvel Studios. Um, and my first thought, when, I mean, we should probably give a bit of background otherwise we'll be mm. off topic um blends the classic st- side of classic sitcoms with the mcu which wanda maximoff and vision two superpowered beings living in their ideal suburban lives uh begin to suspect not everything is as it seems mm-hmm. first episode is purely in black and white and probably most closely resembles a shibi show like uh i love lucy or leave yeah. it to beaver and yeah. a very sort of uh, uh wholesome clean Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, Americana of the 1950s, mm-hmm. you know, the, the wife in the apron and the dress and the husband mm-hmm. in the suit and the briefcase going off to work and, you know, or even maybe something a little bit more like bewitched to a degree as well, mm-hmm. given mm-hmm. that, you know, Wanda is, um, is a, you know, a witch of sorts or <laughs> a mutant witch. Um, but it, what I love about this show is, that, you know, basically it's a 50s, 60s sitcom with MCU characters in it. Mm-hmm. Um and that is insanely risky to ta- so an insanely risky take, right? I mean, mm. we've never seen anything like it. And to do a Lynchian-style superhero TV show, mm-hmm. no one else, only someone with a success of Marvel, where they make all the money. When you've just made, you've just made Endgame, uh, which made what two and a half bill or something like that, two yeah, and a half billion, the highest-grossing film of all time. I don't remember what Spider-Man: Homecoming made, but I assume it was a fuck ton. Mm. Um, at that point in time, 
basically Kevin Feige, I imagine, signs his own checks, really. Yeah. And someone comes with a cool idea, he goes, fuck it, let's do it. And not only is it ballsy for them to do this style of thing, but Vision and Wanda are pretty much the most powerful beings in the MCU. They're literally both powered by Infinity Stones. And they brought about Endgame and Infinity War and all of that stuff. So putting them in a home in the suburbs where they're the challenge of the week is getting through the dinner with his boss is like, that's actually kind of genius. How would these people live on a day-to-day basis? Let's look at that. Let's look at, let's see what else we can do. And then slowly, just little bits pepper throughout it. These little Easter eggs of the MCU. So like, ah, uh, the, the Von, Sch- uh, the Strucker, um, advert for the watch. That was nice. Strucker was one of the, the bad guy that, basically created Wanda in the MCU at the very least. Or the, and, um, the, the toaster in the first episode from Stark Industries. Yeah, all of those little bits. And and then you've got these little kind of audio cues, the things that each of them are hearing. And it's, it's I think this is going to be very long form storytelling, which I am always a fan of. I like them spending time. And that brings me to my number one point that I love about this show. This is showcasing Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany really flexing their their acting chops in ways that we have not seen whatsoever because character development for both of them has been very, very limited in the movies just because they haven't been the, the starting five or six characters from day dot. They've had very little time and they've never really been given much to do with it anyway. And this is suddenly... Elizabeth Olsen is really awesome. <laughs> she does a really good job in this. And Paul Bettany gets the gets a chance to really flex more of his comedy muscles, and he's very good at it. I think Bettany's always been a fine actor. I mean, I, I certainly – Elizabeth Olsen sort of came out of left field for me a little bit mm. in the sense I'd probably only ever seen her in one thing before she got the gig as mm. Scarlet Witch. Um, that was a, a film called Liberal Arts, which I thought she was quite good in. But otherwise, she was just the other Olsen sister. Mm, yeah. Um, and so, but Paul Bettany has a little bit more, for, I guess, of a memorable sort of background. I remember him from films like A Knight's Tale, uh, Beautiful Minds, yeah. Master and Commander, right yeah. through to things like uh, Margin Call, which is one of my favourite movies. Um, yeah, so he's he's been around a little while and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang he was in. Um, so Wimbledon, so he's done... He's done. Yeah. He's done a lot, but um, you know, he's not been able to do much with this because you know. No, he not was... religion, because we've talked about it before. Well, I think we talked about it when they initially announced the cast of the uh, the Avengers Endgame film to, or, you know, what became Endgame and, and, and Infinity War. It's like, how do you put that many characters, that many huge stars, on the screen and give them enough time? Yeah. You don't. Someone's going to miss out, and these two have, which is probably why they're going. Well, they're probably you know, prime to be you know, in a nine-episode series um, really where we really spend a whole bunch of time just learning about their characters. Um, and, and you, you think – so go sorry. on. No, I was just say, I really enjoy the dark elements to this show. Like it's, it's got the, uh, the, uh, the luster, and they do it very well. It looks very good. Like it looks exactly like a show from the 1950s would look like. Yeah. Um, but then they have these. Apparently, they got Dick Van Dyken to consult on it so that the the setting and the, the 
kind of production value of how these kinds of shows was legitimate. And up until it released, he had no idea how successful the MCU was. <laughs> um, that's cool. And I read they used a whole bunch of different lenses. Mm. Apparently, the show cost $25 million an episode. And these are the first episode was what 20 25 minutes long, yeah, they're not long. Um, so that's a, I mean, it goes to show making something look really old, uh, like that is not cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, so they look incredible, but in the, in the first episode where the boss comes to visit, the boss just kind of and his wife just kind of freak out and start yelling at them, Who are you? Why did you come here? and these sorts of things. And as mm-hmm. you mentioned, some of the audio cues in episode two where she's listening to the radio and you can just hear someone going, Wanda, 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 who's doing this to you, Wanda? And you're like, oh, that's fucking cool. And apparently that in itself is potentially another Easter egg because the voice of it is the FBI agent who was kind of babysitting Paul Rudd's character in Ant-Man and the Wasp, the the guy who kept on coming to just check and make sure he's okay. It's, it's the same guy. So it's like, okay, is that? fbi involved in this or or are they trying to free her from something or what it's just that really really clever stuff of if you don't know anything about the mcu somehow and you decide to watch this movie this this show you are gonna find it fun and enjoyable but there's all these darker little twist elements of further store overarching story development that come through that just make you want to come back for the next episode because like, oh, what does that mean? I'm intrigued. I mean, I want to know what's going on. Mm. Um, Some obvious references here, Pleasantville. um, Mm. uh, Halfway through episode two, it changes to full color. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the idea is the episodes will progress through time. Mm. So it's going to move from the 50s to the 60s now, or then move on to the 70s and 80s and and, and so on from there. Um, So Pleasantville is a real obvious touch point, and I think they – they reference it as quite obviously reference it as, as an influence. But the other influence I've got here is one that I don't know it was intentional, but uh, I haven't heard anyone else mention it, but it really feels strongly to me is um, trying to remember the game. I think it was Fallout 3. Okay. Um, there was a, as a, as a quest in Fallout 3 um, for those who were familiar with the game, uh, Vault-Tec who run over vaults in the game, uh, run fucked up experiments on all the, um, inhabitants of a vault in one of the vaults you actually have to uh, find and, and and basically explore you climb into one of the vault tube things i can't remember what they're called and basically you are immersed in um a pre-war idealized um uh suburban utopia okay um, and you actually so you you have all your weapons and your armor and stuff taken away and you're you're in this virtual u- suburban utopia and you have to um figure out who a, a murderer or something is in the neighborhood, if I remember correctly. Okay. But it's kind of it's a really different thing from going around, you know, doing the normal Fallout game, shooting super mutants and stuff, is yeah. sort of almost a mini, not quite so heavy on a detective thing, but it was there. And it was because one thing, when Fallout's good, what it does really well, is a lot of the experiments, it, um, mm. the, uh, the Vault-Tec runs on its inhabitants, like, you're like, ooh, that's fucked up. Um, and um, this is I can't remember before, this is a long time since I played Fallout 3, but mm. it, and the whole of it, the whole thing is played out in black and white. So, cool. again, like it was in uh, you know, in a TV show. So, again, because it's like that was a virtual world and 
pretty sure this is a virtual world they're stuck in. Um, <laughs> that kind of met, and it was kind of something fucked up going on the whole time. And at the end of it, like um, soldiers invade the neighborhood and just looking for communists to kill or something like that. Mm. Um, so it was, it was, it's a fun little mission and, and um, Fallout 3 fans will know what I'm talking about, but mm. it did remind me again of, 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 of and in a good way of like, wow, they mm. really, what I, it was one of my favorite missions in the game and they've really sucked that up and really evoked mm. that really nicely in, yeah. in the WandaVision. I'm super excited to see where this goes next. I really annoyed the drip feeding it. Damn it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Damn Damn it. Now, um, I think that this is also very, very indicative of what we can expect for the rest of Phase 4 because not only is, aside from um, the Doctor Strange sequel um, and the Thor sequel, um, Love and Thunder, it's really a lot of new stuff, like uh, the Legend of Shang-Chi and Eternals. um, There's the What If stuff. Loki, um, Falcon, and um, the Winter Soldier, and, and Hawkeye, and the the big temples of that, or the the overriding themes of that, is other worlds, other universes. You know, it's multiverse of madness, Doctor for Doctor Strange, and you've got Sam Raimi coming in to do that, which I think is potentially a match made in heaven. Um, the fact that one of their shows is What If partnering up with the fact that the first thing that their first product they're launching phase four with is Wanda and vision and Wanda can literally change reality. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see how all of that kind of reflects through. And this is apparently linked to Mm. Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, I, I think that if people you know, if big, big time MCU fans are not liking this or don't like the rest of this show by the end of the run and the story has told, I think they might be a little worried about just the tonal shift for phase four. They might kind of go, mm, nah, it's, it's gone too dark um, or something like that. Or it's gone a bit weird. I don't like it. Bring back, bring back the, the classics. I mean, I'm curious, though. We'll make a fair point. I mean, like, it's they've lost Danny Jr. Apparently, Chris Evans might be coming back to do something else. It was in the news this week. But I think it was a really positive choice to end it where they did. It's a good finish for him. Um, no need to revisit his story. Like, I don't like the idea. I don't like the idea of a Falcon and Winter Soldier because Falcon's like the least interesting character except Captain Marvel in the whole thing. <laughs> Um, so like I've got, I mean, he, maybe they can think up an interesting story to do with him, but you know, either way, I think they made a good call, Chris Evans, but you're mm. right. There's a big, this is a trip. This is a passing of a torch a little bit to mm. the, the next sort of, you know, Oh, sorry. Just... Wrong button. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> the passing of a torch onto the next, um, the, yeah, the next sort of phase or generation of, of, of characters. And, yeah. um, I think like I said, I think the kind of money the MCU's made for Disney has bought them a lot of freedom. Um, yeah, and and I, their, their run of success is literally unparalleled. There is yeah, nothing. It's underwriting them right now because Star Wars mm-hmm. hasn't done so well. Um, the parks are closed. Mm-hmm. Um, so Disney, I mean, and it's interesting. I mean, are Disney going to blink now? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, are they going to, I mean, are they going to be tempted to sort of go pull Valisha a little bit? Hopefully they're smart because... You know, they haven't pulled the leash on Foggy 
mm. Kevin Feige and Co. just yet, and it's worked out very well for them because of as it is. I mean, and you look at the DC's doing now; it's a fucking mess. I mean, I Batwoman premiered this week, and apparently it's awful. Um, so they're completely shitting on their brand on the CW with all their CW superhero shows. They're letting Zack Snyder make. I'm curious to see what it looks like with Justice League um, film, which the Snyder cut, which is apparently a four-hour movie now. I think that people are reading way too much into that response. I think that it is going to be a four-part mini-series that is going to be released in four parts, but you can just watch from – it's it's going to be just dumped all four parts in one go. There's not going to be waiting a week or anything like that. You're just going to be able to watch through the whole thing, but it is going to be four parts, I think. that's I why It would be a big ass to sit down and watch the four. I haven't even watched The Irishman yet because that's that long. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, we saw what Wonder Woman was. We didn't like that. Apparently there are three different Batman coming out this year uh, in different films in the next year or next year or two. Mm-hmm. So um, when you look at this, the order and the Marvel have put in the hard yards and now they're allowed to experiment. Um, and if you're right, if they bring us in, I, I really hope Marvel fans stick with it. I was stunned to hear people say we were bored with it. I mean, like, are you unfamiliar with character development? I mean, like, there's cool, freaky shit going on. What is what is wrong with you people? That's the thing. It is it is very much this is a complete this this is David Lynch taking over um an MCU property and sort of like, yeah, I know you expect all that, and some of that stuff will come. Or I'm gonna use some of that stuff for comedy value, just like their their really funny um pseudo drunk vision magic show it's not used for that pop wow adrenaline thing it's used for these tiny little micro things that just help you remember oh yeah they've got abilities and stuff like that this is a very different kind of thing and it is much more my taste for sure compared to i'm way more engaged in this than i have been in um, any of the recent mcu movies um the big thing that's that someone online brought up is what happens with Black Widow? Because we know that these, the MCU has, you know, all of them kind of feed into each other in some way, shape or form. Black Widow has been put on a shelf. They've been sort of like, are they going to keep delaying it because they want to get it out in cinemas? Or is this going to be the first big MCU movie to come out on Disney plus? Can they afford to pause it? What, what's going to happen with it? It's a very interesting question because again, this is a character that, had a very finite end by the end of Endgame. Well, the, prequel, the prequel, though, right? Yeah, but are they, you know, the, come on, this is this is the MCU, and it's like, okay, well, Scarlet wants to keep going. Let's see what happens. Does it tie in with Wanda ch- shaping reality? Or I really, really uh, hope they don't. I mean, mm-hmm. her end in Endgame is perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was, I've, I've said it for years, it was a huge mistake by Marvel to wait this long. Mm-hmm. Huge. I mean, they're going to make money out of it. I mean, they're going to make some money out of this, but they're probably not going to make anything like they would have now three or four years ago. Like, why they sat on their hands with this character never made sense to me. Like, no one wants to see female superhero films. Well, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman put paid to that. Um, yeah. And Captain Marvel made money too, despite being awful. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's a huge mistake to wait this long, but they have. But... You're right. I mean, well, I guess it really depends on on. Uh, it really does depend on the um the uh, unspecified virus of unknown origin. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's going to it, does, if Biden and Co can 
kick a lot of fire under the vaccine process in the US yeah. and by, you know, July, you know, June, July, they're starting to get, you know, numbers of vaccinated people up high enough and the vaccine, sorry, the, um, the, and the, the virus numbers are down. Mm. Maybe they reopen cinemas again. Yeah. Um, I think their question has got to be going through Disney's head and, and this is probably a little off topic because he's, is in a country that's been had its ass kicked as hard as the US has had mm. on on the virus front. We've done pretty well here. Mm. Um, are people going to go back to the cinema well, even that's, after things are safer? That's the thing. You know, everyone, the, the whole Hollywood was looking at the release of Tenet as the big test bed. How well is that going to do going because Chris Nolan had his – foot down, I'm going to release it in cinemas, blah, blah, blah. It came out to very, 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 very mixed reviews. But what if it was the next MCU movie? That has got much more general populace draw power than any Chris Nolan movie. Chris Nolan is a very, very well-known director. He makes very, very successful movies. But nothing is quite on par with an MCU movie. And, you know, if they come out April, May, just before the sort of like peak summertime in the US and they go, okay, we can, we're releasing it here. We've had three months. We've been able to get vaccines out and things are starting to get under control. The first big movie you're going to be able to watch only in cinemas because Warner Brothers is pushing, putting it all on HBO Max. It's a fucking MCU movie. Welcome back, cinema. People would jump at that. Yeah. yeah uh, MCU movie or your life? I don't know. People are dumb. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, I mean, I heard, I watched a video today that uh, on, on the state of the film industry and it argued that they, made, they lost a lot of money on the line. Mm. Uh, that could have been because they chose that premium pricing model, which mm-hmm. I don't know we're going to see that again. Yeah. Um, so that might have just been the test for them. It, it'll be it'll be waiting. Same with James Bond, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's still sitting on the shelf. It's been sitting on the shelf for about a year now. Yeah. Um, so I'm not confident we will we will see Black Widow released in the cinemas. I suspect there's a very very good chance. Mm-hmm. It will land on Disney Plus if, if by the summer, mm-hmm. the, the US pandemic of the unspecified virus of unknown origin is not under control, uh, or starting to get under control. I think they might have to just you know what they cut their losses and 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 chuck it on on Disney Plus. I mean, it, yeah. it's going to help their subscriber numbers. I heard the rumor is they could be getting something like two hundred and fifty million subscribers by the end of the year. Yeah. Well, I mean, we both raved about. Um, Pixar's Soul, and that went straight to Disney+. Plus. There was no pay bracket like there was Mulan. Infinitely more successful for them in every conceivable way. Reviews, um, customer feedback, as well as just the, the general feel and vibe of its release. So I think we're going to see that. I think that's what's going to realistically be what's next, is the next big release on Disney+, Plus will be Black Widow. And, you know, just looking at um, uh, WandaVision's release schedule, the episode 9 of 9 is supposed to release March 12th. 
So that's just on the cusp of the start of like the late spring, early summer period in the US. They may try and squeeze it out right at that point if there's potential tie-in and if things are safe. Otherwise, it's going to come out on Disney+. Plus. Um, yeah, it, it's a, the broader question about, about cinemas remains. Mm. Not only are there no cinemas to open, and there aren't making many films for cinemas. I went to the uh, cinema the other night, actually, the mm. drive-in, I should say, and I saw Logan. Oh, yeah. Um. Yeah, so I mean, it's not a bad thing in a way. I'm kind of enjoying being able to go and see these really great old movies at the yeah. at the movies again. But I, I don't imagine studios and cinemas are terribly happy about. That is one division. I think that's two thumbs up from us, and I think that's a give it a go and stick out the two episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you'll be rewarded. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely, you know, it's so far the first two episodes each have been under the forty minute mark. They're bite-sized, they're entertaining, the actors are very clearly enjoying the roles that they're playing, the story is developing nicely. Um, it's nice to see a lot of um, kind of just all of the bits and pieces. So if you are a fan, you are going to kind of go, ah, I know what that means. Um, and each episode so far has left with a cool little cliffhanger of a teaser for potentially what's coming next. But um yeah, go in with an open mind. It, yeah, and expect something different. Do not expect your run-of-the-mill mm-hmm. action. You don't expect something like Arrow or The Flash from the CW. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But these guys are actually creative, and they're doing creative things, <laughs> and they're not making superheroes for fucking teenagers. No, they are not. <laughs> now, do you, wanna, do you want to talk about um, your next thing? Sure. Uh, Death of 2020 is a Netflix TV special. Mm-hmm. Uh, what attracted this is not the kind of thing I would normally have clicked on. Mm-hmm. Um, what got me to take a look at this was some strong recommendations from people I know who said it was absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact it's written by one of my, I wouldn't say one of my favorites, someone who I'm a fan of is Charlie Brooker. Mm-hmm. Someone you're not a fan of. Um, and of course, for those who don't know, Charlie Brooker is the writer and creator of Black Mirror, Dead Set, that sort of thing, which mm-hmm. God knows we need more Black Mirror in the world right now. We're living it. Shut up. <laughs> uh, take a look back at the mad glory of a year 2020 in his comedic retrospective. So he used to do a show in Britain called Newswipe, I think, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. He used to do yes. like a yearly wrap-up, I think, at the end of the Newswipe Mm-hmm. of the year kind of thing and in a, in a classic sort of british style it was a satirical look at the news of a year um with a very sort of deadpan the charlie brooker hosting um it reminded me of clive james you know who clive james is he was based in he was based in britain for for years and years and years but he was an australian broadcaster and comedian he used to do he used to do this kind of thing that charlie brooker's doing but he used to do it like 30 35 years ago uh, he's unfortunately passed away fairly recently, but similar type of thing. Mm. Um, anyway, so I this one though is a bit different to his normal newswipe kind of thing. He's got Netflix money now, <laughs> so yes. um, he cast here is actually a little different. So this is a little different, other than sort of saying whereas Charlie might it might be a little bit more like something like John Oliver or the the Weekly, I think it's called here in Australia, hosted 
by someone on the ABC whose name escapes me right now. Um, <laughs> and they'll have like a new story on and they'll make sort of jokes mm. about the new story that they've just talked about. This one is more of a, we have actors playing characters and mm. they are playing back the crazy shit that happened last year. So we have Samuel Jackson, Hugh Grant, uh, Lisa Kudrow, Kamal Nanjiani, Tracy Ullman, Leslie Jones, uh, Kristen Milotti, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, these sorts of people. Mm. Um, and they are playing characters. Um, so, for example, Lisa Kudrow plays Janetta Grace Susan, who is sort of a, um, what's her name? What, sort of a Trump, one of those uh, blonde advisors who works for Trump. But what's her name? Who, uh, the, the alternative facts woman. Kellyanne um, Conway. That's her, yeah. So very similar to that, you know, um, to constantly contradicting herself and sort mm -hmm. of just being a completely horrible human being. Uh, Christina, Kristen Milioti, who uh, Kristen Milioti, who we we enjoyed recently in Palm Springs, mm -hmm. um, plays Kathy uh, Flowers, who is sort of a suburban soccer mom, who just also happens to be a white supremacist Nazi. Uh, <laughs> she's actually, I think, the best thing on the show. Um, uh, Hugh Grant plays a British a British um, historian called Tennyson Foss. He's actually very good. He does comedy very, very well. But, like, people forget he used to be, you know, pretty good before he got super famous and started picking up hookers in cars and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> so is it good, though, I guess, is the question you're after. And, like, mm -hmm. and the people who told me it was absolutely laugh out loud hilarious, I'm afraid I have to disagree with that. Mm -hmm. It's Okay. Mm -hmm. it's pretty pedestrian unfortunately like, i'm not saying it's awful it was watchable it comes it goes it's there for 70 minutes and it's gone it's fine uh none of the actors are particularly memorable mm -hmm. the, other than like i said lucy kudrow and kristen miliotti were sort of like oh yeah see what you're doing there mm -hmm. um yeah there's a cat joe keery he looks he's got a very familiar face Oh, he's in Stranger Things. That's why. Yeah. Um, he plays a an influencer, and mm -hmm. he, he has some good lines. Mm -hmm. um, but it really depends, sort of skit to skit or, or scene to scene. So, you know, you'll have Hugh Grant doing a bit, and that works. And then you might have Samuel Jackson, Leslie Jones doing another bit. That doesn't work. Then we cut back to somebody else, and it does work. Uh, it's really up and down and uneven as a result. I mean. It's it's rapid fire jokes. They're constantly throwing sort of mm. gags and bits at the telly, and you're like, "Yeah, okay." Mm. I'm just not really feeling it. So, um, I should note though, mm. I posted on my Facebook page that I how much I enjoyed One Division yesterday, and someone said, "Oh my god, you actually like something." <laughs> um, so. That should be noted when you're keeping in mind my thoughts on Death of 20. I am a grumpy, cynical curmudgeon who doesn't like anything. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm a little bit harder on comedy than other things, apparently. Mm -hmm. So, look, yeah, if you like Charlie Brooker's style of comedy, you know, mm. give it a go. If one of your favourite actors is in it, give it a go. There are people out there who apparently found this drop, drop down, fall down hilarious. I didn't think so. Mm, okay. It's okay. It's okay. 
if you really want to revisit 2020, that's the question. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And that was on Netflix, wasn't it? That is a Netflix exclusive, yes. Okay. All right. All right. Well, last week I said that I was going to get around to watching uh, The History of Swearing with Nicolas Cage. That didn't happen. Um, instead, um, season three of Disenchantment um, dropped on Netflix. And this is by the same... This is Matt Groening, who did, obviously, The Simpsons and Futurama. Um, I believe that it's also co-created um, by a bunch of the other guys, like... Um, uh, shit, his name is... Uh, David X. Cohen, that's the name that I was trying to think of. And it's... It's a weird show in every sense of the descriptor. Um, Princess Tia Beanie, Bean is annoyed at her imminent arranged marriage to Prince Merkimer. Then she m meets Lucy, a demon, and Elfo, an elf, and things get rather exciting and dangerous. Do they, though? That is the big question. And where The Simpsons was, you know, started off as kind of a mirrored slice of life kind of thing, and it evolved into its own own thing over time. And Futurama had um, some kind of surface um, cynicism that very quickly gave way to these lovely, soft, gooey, warm centers of all of the characters, and you can't help but fall in love with them. Disenchantment really shows you a bleak world and bleak characters making consistently wrong choices and kind of knowing that they're the wrong choice, but doing them anyway. There's not much saving grace to them. And the first season, I kind of jumped into it thinking, oh, yes, give me more of that um, uh, Bender's Game Futurama style Dungeons and Dragons mixed with the comedy of Futurama. Perfect, please. Yes, that ain't this. This is um, definitely taking a lot more um, interesting social cues as well as trying to be bizarrely more political in a lot of ways, but also being very, very sardonic and kind of showing its depression on its sleeve um i watch it because the animation is great and there are some funny elements to it that do keep me hooked but 30 minute episodes there are um 10 episodes in each season and oh it it gets tiring yeah, it's kind of have to push through because overall there's generally an overarching story to each season and it, then it continues on. It's like one ongoing saga. But it doesn't really have too much brevity. Like a lot of what happens in season three is really dark and some of the shit that happens to um, the character King Zog, who's Tiabini's father... He's dealing with having been shot, tortured, buried alive, and the kind of effects of how that happens. And it tries to bring some comedy out of that, but it shows it and every response and reaction in much more genuine, serious manner that the comedy kind of falls flat and sour. I don't know. It's, it's a 
weird it's a weird target that they're shooting for with this but three seasons in and they are still nailing what they want to nail and i i don't get it well i mean my first thought is that if you look at Matt Groening's um, filmography, mm. he's basically done The Simpsons, Futurama, and this. Mm. That's all he's ever done. Mm. Um, and The Simpsons, has, the interesting thing about The Simpsons is it's such an iconic TV show mm. and so influential, even on me. Like I mentioned earlier, I used to say The Simpsons was a language in of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I stop and think about it, it's probably been shit house now for longer than it was ever good. But probably mm-hmm. twice as long as it was ever good. I would say the first 10 to 11 seasons were very good, outstanding to good. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one, maybe aside. Um, and that's how many seasons are we up to? What about 30 seasons now? Just about looking. Uh, they're um, on 699 episodes. It's a lot. Um, so I would hazard a guess that it's probably the last 20 seasons or so have been poor to downright bad. Um, and so for sure, if it's been around for 30 years, they've only, you know, one, it stopped being good 20 years ago. So, mm. um, I, I often think that, you know, an artist, a musician, an actor, a director, probably more you know, in the musician director sort of world has mm. only so many masterpieces in them. Mm. You know, we, we quite often, we look at John Carpenter and that run he had through the eighties, you know, mm. the thing, um, you know, big trouble, little China, Starman, all those films, and you're like, that's some kind of run. And then he hits the 90s, and we got like, um, Ghosts of Mars, and mm-hmm. whatever that last he stopped making. He basically gave up making films after one more after that. Like, he only has so many great pieces of art in them. And mm-hmm. Matt Groening made some of the most outstanding art, television wise, mm-hmm. that I think will ever exist. Yep. But he did all, he stopped doing that 20 years ago. So I just look at it and go, I I tried a couple episodes of Disenchantment in the first season and I didn't like it. Mm. Um, I feel like he's maybe for someone who is probably a squillionaire now because how much does he get paid to make The Simpsons? I uh, assume he owns a piece of the IP. Oh yeah. So he's got to be worth a squillion. I just don't know how much great work he's got left in him, and I don't think I. And this just felt like Futurama light. And like it, it's like he's gone. Well, I don't want to do that again. And he's yeah. sort of gone all the good shit that, that made that amazing and made Simpsons amazing in those first few years. Yeah. I don't want to do any of that. I'm going to do something different, and it sucks. Yeah, I remember there was a documentary years ago about uh, few, um, it was. Yeah, it must have been just after the release of the first or second season of Futurama, I think, and. Um, David X. Cohen and Matt Groening were talking, saying, yeah, we've got this idea for a show that satirizes American football. I was like, okay, I could see a lot of comedy in that because there's people who are really fanatical about it. You could have a lot of in-jokes. There's a lot of – there's a lot to, to source from that. I get that. And Disenchantment coming – and it's like, oh, it's from the same guys. Cool. This is ticking quite a few boxes potentially for me. But, yeah, it's like they've – either they don't un- don't fully understand this, the source material that they're parodying in true fantasy and D&D, which seems weird considering how good they got it in Bender's game. Um, 
and the fact that there are so many references to Gary Gygax throughout the whole thing. The, the creative team should really—they really know their D and D. So to kind of bring in that kind of world to this and it not quite fit, it's like okay, they've something has shifted and changed, and it's really sad to see. <laughs> It's, it's look, you know, great artists quite regularly make things that are flops. And look, I mean, apparently it's just us. Mm. Apparently it's you and me. It says it's seven point what seven point two, yeah, on IMDb. So apparently people like it. Um, yeah. Well, you're the curmudgeon, and I'm the contrarian. So there we go. There <laughs> we go. She get like, she get nameplates. She's another jacket. t-shirt for us. <laughs> get the jackets made up. We let them in the back. Um, so people who know who we are will be inevitably turn up to cons and people of go, of who are you and why are you here um <laughs> it's it's a disappointing one because i know when i was excited when i saw matt Groening's name on it and you know mm. you're like oh, and you see the art style which is so similar to to ones we know and you're like oh that's disappointing yeah far but it happens a lot i mean the twilight zone of the new star trek series and or the new doctor who i heard people don't like that one yeah so that was that was, I was somewhat disenchanted by disenchanted. Ah, I see what you did there. Uh, I'm a wordsman. <laughs> yeah, but um, that has really been all that I'm going to bother talking about this week. That's it. I feel, well, we you know, say about that. Been, a, been an hour and a half of us talking. I think it's a fairly good spot for us to I end the show. I think people have earned the break. Um, I, I, will, I was going to talk about Agents of Chaos. The, Matt, the um, Alex Give Me series, the documentary series about Russia. Oh, okay. But I'm I not going to. I'll, I'll hold that. Uh, game on Xbox, I think. Oh, um, no, <laughs> I'll, I'll hold that one over because it's. We talked about Alex Give Me last last week, and I mean, yeah, it's almost been politics free this week, so you know, people will appreciate that. Unbelievable! People expect the same shit from us week in week out. <laughs> What are we going to do when there's, like, someone in, you know, like, I, you're the most powerful man in the world isn't a fucking idiot. Like, and you go, oh, well, you like, you look at what Stephen Colbert and all those guys, it's pretty much wall-to-wall Trump. Yeah. Um, like, all those guys. And you're like, what are they going to do now? Like, you're going to be like, oh, Joe Biden had the Japanese ambassador in the uh, White House today, and they discussed trade. Yeah. And it'd be thoroughly be... sensible. And. Um... He didn't. He didn't once say it's going to be huge. He didn't release any classified information. He didn't. He, he didn't shout or anything like that. And, you know, he didn't try and um, fondle. He didn't, his he didn't blame Hillary. He didn't blame Antifa. It's going to be like completely normal and boring. And you know, yeah. Um, you're like, what are they? What are they? I feel sorry for tonight's show hosts. They're going to have a hard time. They're going to have to start working again. <laughs> yeah, we're going to start reading the paper past the first couple of pages. Anyway, oh, it's going to be something else interesting happening in the world. They're going to be the conspiracy theorist peddlers. <laughs> they, might, they might need to get to that point. We're going to keep it interesting. But uh, mm. I'm very much looking forward to John Oliver's return um, mm. next month because I think John Oliver's show is the best of those. Mm, he is very good at what he does. I'm a big fan. But anyway, it's February 14th for those who are playing at home. There's right. also some, some other occasion, which I'm not really familiar with. Uh, oh, some uh, paganistic satanic ritual. 
Love day, better right? Mm. Yes, yes. Um, uh, how how to take money out of your wallet and make you think you're doing something good? Yeah, at least um, anyway, uh, we don't engage in that kind of thing unless you're buying your loved one an armchair producer's shirt. In which case, she's sure to be very pleased with that. So, like, thanks. I needed a new rag to work in when I was under the car. <laughs> it's, all, it's, it's, it's the hot new gift. It's the hot new. It's the hot new look of a. Autumn or summer. <laughs> it's not summer. Yes. Okay. Um, we've, we're rabbiting on now. So thank you for watching, everyone who's watched and all the bots. As a, as a rundown, this was, uh, we talked about Eastern Promises. Travis chose the 13th floor to be next week's chain movie. Um, we talked about WandaVision, both, uh, both of us really enjoying it and to hell with anyone else. Uh, Travis reviewed Charlie Brooker's Death to 2020, and I talked about Season 3 of Disenchantment. Next week is going to be an interesting one, I'm sure. We'll um, have some new things to talk about. Oh, I will talk about Mandalorian because I smashed through Season 1 and 2. Oh, well, it's something, to, something to look forward to. I'm very, very interested to hear your opinion. Heads up, I have opinions. <laughs> That's what you tune into this for. That's yes. the, the level of genius of your opinions. You don't get them anywhere else. Mm -hmm. I have opinions, not necessarily well thought out ones or consecutive <laughs> ones that make any sense, but I have thoughts and I will voice if them. You, if you don't like them, we have others. <laughs> what would you like to hear and we'll say it. <laughs> that seems to be how you make money online these days. Absolutely. But thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for following along. We do appreciate it. If you could go over to twitch.tv slash the fried brain, give us a follow. If you want to throw money, cool. But otherwise, why would you? It, we're in a weird environment. Save your money for something else. But the follow does help us for sure. Um, go to YouTube, subscribe, like, and on Facebook. It just helps, you know, get us out to more than Tell seven. Tell your friends, yeah. your relatives, you know. Um, people on the street, person sitting next to the tram. Tell anyone. plants. Not enough people are telling plants about podcasts. The plant market's about to explode. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's, it's going to be huge. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much and good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. We are a weekly podcast every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And if you'd like to follow along live, please go to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain, where you can actually also donate to us, as well as watching us live on youtube.com slash friedbrainproductions or facebook.com slash friedbrainproductions. Thank you, and see you next time. Bye-bye.